Father God, we come before you this morning in the powerful and precious name of your Son, our Lord, Savior, King, Jesus Christ. Lord, it is a great privilege to be able to gather as God's people, as a family brought together by faith, to lift up our voices in song, in prayer, to sit under your word being proclaimed and read, and to worship you, Lord Jesus, because you are worthy. There are so many things that could try to distract us this morning, even from a cold building. And so, Father, we ask that you would do the miraculous, and that is by your Holy Spirit, grab hold of our hearts, grab hold of our minds, grab hold of our focus, and center them on you. Remove the distractions so that we can give our time to devotion. Open our eyes as we look at your word, that we would see something of your glory, your beauty, your majesty. Help us see true beauty now. And may that give us proper perspective on what the world calls beautiful. Like Moses, we say, Lord, show us your glory. And we ask that you would take hold of our hearts as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and that you would unite our hearts collectively here and now to fear your name and to treasure your name above all things. That you would lead us into truth, Lord, in a world, in a society that is full of lies, that you would anchor us in truth. That you would satisfy us with your steadfast, unchanging love. That you would give us courage, that you would give us boldness, Lord, to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would give us opportunity to take the word proclaimed today, that it would plant it deep within our hearts, and that we would take this truth and share it with the world. Father, I ask now that the words in my sight would be pleasing to you, and the words in your, the words I speak in your sight would be pleasing, and that Holy Spirit, you would take the word, conform our hearts more to Christ for those who are in faith, and for those who are here this morning who do not know you, that you would take the word preached and save them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's really easy to say that you believe something until it comes time to do the actual thing, to take that step of obedience. I was trying to think of a great way to illustrate it, but the, the Bible illustrates itself better than any other illustration. If you were to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, we see a perfect picture of saying you believe and then actually walking that belief out in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Start at verse 1. It says, Now it happened after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship and we will return to you. 
Then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and put him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch your hand out against the boy. Do nothing to him. For I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. God said that he would bring a great nation from Abraham through the child of promise, which is Isaac. And now God says, sacrifice your son. Now Abraham believes God is good. Abraham believes God's going to keep his promise. But in that moment, his belief had to be shown by his immediate total obedience. And he did it. Abraham was not a man who simply gave lip service to the Lord, but he was a man who obeyed the Lord. In James chapter 2, verse 21 through 24, it reads, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. What that is saying there is that obedience shows your faith, your salvation, your justification to be true. That you're not simply professing, but that you're believing. And as we look at today's passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, we are going to see that great truth. The big idea for this morning would be this. You must not only confess Christ, but also obey him. You must not only confess Christ, but also obey him. So let's read verses Luke 6, 46 through 49 in our text this morning, and then we'll jump in. Again, this is picking up on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has been giving. Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug and went deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when, the flood, when a flood occurred, the river burst against that house, but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who heard and did not do accordingly is like a man who built on a house on the ground without any foundation. And the river burst against it and immediately collapsed in the ruin of that house was great. Our first point this morning is the profession of faith. Verse 46, the profession of faith. 
Jesus is wrapping up. He's concluding his Sermon on the Mount here. And Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount by asking a piercing question that strikes to the very heart of what it means to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice it starts by saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord? It's repeated twice here for emphasis. Now, as we look at this profession, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Notice, you don't make, I want you to just know, you don't make Jesus Lord. We need to understand it from the set. You don't make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is ruling and he is reigning over all things. Jesus is the Lord over all of humanity and all of the cosmos. So to say Lord, Lord isn't making him Lord, but it is acknowledging the Lordship that he has. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above it every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? They're professing the right thing. They're acknowledging who he really is, that he is the ruler, that he is the master, that he is the one who commands, that he is the one who governs. It's even repeated twice. This is a strong profession that they're making. To say that Jesus is Lord is to admit that there is an allegiance that is owed to Jesus. So they're professing the right thing here. I've recently been reading a book by Dr. John MacArthur, The Gospel According to Jesus. Wonderful book. And as we've been reading, he talks a little bit about this. I want to highlight, when we say that Jesus is Lord, when we profess that, there's a couple things that whether you realize it or not, you're acknowledging as a Christian. The first thing you're acknowledging when you say Jesus Christ is Lord is that you have been chosen by him. Any true Christian who says Jesus is Lord is acknowledging that God, in eternity past, set his sovereign saving salvific mercy upon them listen to ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will you recognize that in his lordship he chose you you're also by calling jesus lord whether you realize it or not acknowledging that you have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. As Lord who purchased you, he owns you. You are his slave. He is your Lord. Which means your life is not your own. To say Jesus Christ is 
your Lord is to recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ owns you. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 7 and 9. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. So they say, they're looking at Jesus, Lord, Lord. They're identifying themselves with him. We say Jesus is our Lord. We are acknowledging he chose us, he bought us, he owned us, owns us. But with that, there's one more really key part of this profession. Before we even see the, the, the challenge Jesus puts before them. And that is if Jesus, if you, if you are saying that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that he chose you, he bought you, he owns you, you follow him, then his lordship means that you and I are to live in submission to his will. The book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. So now think about this. Just pause here. You came in here this morning. I came in here this morning as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is who I follow. Are you consciously recognizing I've been chosen, bought, owned, and must live in submission to his perfect, holy, righteous will? I must obey the Lord Jesus Christ above anyone else. Because that's what it means, and this is why Jesus is going to throw this question following their profession. You've professed rightly, but why don't you obey me? Why don't you do what I say? Because if you're making that profession, if you're confessing me as Lord, then your life should look radically different than those who do not confess me as Lord. And we, I mean, right there we can stop. If you're confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, does your life look different than those who don't? This is why he says, and you do not do what I say. One of the clearest things when you read the gospel accounts is that obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is not optional. Obedience isn't optional at all. It's a package deal. We see that throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but perhaps most pointedly where we see that obedience is not optional is in John chapters 14 and 15. In those two chapters, that reality is pressed upon us again and again and again. Listen to these verses, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will accept me into your heart. No. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You have to. John 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. John chapter 14, verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. This is why Jesus is saying, you're saying, Lord, Lord, you're, tr- you're identifying with me, but you're not following, you're not obeying me. You know, there's one person I think of who called Jesus Lord. But as his life shows, his profession was false because he wasn't really following. And that's Judas. Judas called Jesus Lord, but he did not live in obedient submission to what he professed. And he became traitorous. And when you profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you do not walk in obedience to him as Lord, you are being just as traitorous as Judas. You may not trade him in for 30 pieces of silver, but you trade him in for inappropriate things on a screen. You do not trade him in for 30 pieces of silver, but you trade him in to advance your career. You do not trade him for 30 pieces of silver, but you treat him in to live in an only appropriate lifestyle with friends at school. So we have to be very careful how boldly we say Jesus Christ is our Lord, because if we proclaim that boldly, but we're not living it boldly, we have more Judas in our heart than we realize. You see, today, everybody wants Jesus as Savior. Everybody wants the forgiveness of sin. Everybody wants the the removal of shame and guilt, but they do not want Jesus Christ as Lord and Master over their lives. They do not want to accept the fact that to confess Christ as Lord means you are his slave, and slaves have one mission in life, to do the will of their master. It's a package deal. You don't get to have him as savior without obedient submission to his lordship. And that should even change the way we we evangelize, the way we try to present Jesus to our kids. We need to be very careful that we're not saying, Jesus loves you and he wants to take all your sin away and make your life happy. But we leave off the fact, and now your entire life is governed by him and through his word. You give a sentimental Jesus. You don't give a Lord, a King Jesus. You give a Jesus who looks more like the pining little boyfriend in high school than the one who's ruling and reigning over the cosmos. The one who's heartbroken when you're sin, not the one who will judge. But he is the Lord. And we have to confront the reality One of the most loving things you and I can do as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is if you see a brother or sister who is professing that Christ is their Lord, but they're living actually like the devil's their Lord, that you confront them and you say, you're living out of state with your profession. Can we talk? And one of the most loving things somebody can do for you is to check you on that. This goes back up to what Jesus was saying in verses 43 and 44. There is no good tree which produces bad fruit nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit you can't profess to be part of the tree of jesus's lordship while you're producing demonic fruit that's not how it works so jesus is confronting this hypocrisy in them 
our Lord Jesus is clear. Your profession means nothing at all if your life does not evidence a pursuit and the fruit of obedience. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we're saved by our obedience. We are not saved by our obedience at all. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That is it. That is your only hope. That is my only hope. However, fruit matters. In obedience to the revealed will of God in his holy word is the fruit that you have really come to Jesus Christ by faith. The Christ has made you his own. That's why we say there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Obedience should be growing. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. We see this relationship. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works so that no one may boast. See, salvation is by faith there. But what accompanies that faith, that saving faith? For we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So what Jesus is saying here is, you don't identify me as your, you can't say I'm your Lord if your life isn't looking like mine. Because if Jesus Christ is your life, for I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You're telling me Christ living in you produces a devilish life? No. Again, we're not perfect. We're being sanctified, but the overall trajectory of your life is one that is having more and more and more fruit of obedience. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Again, Lord is repeated twice. No matter, let me say this, no matter how strongly you profess Jesus Christ to be your Lord, no matter how much feeling you have in your heart welling up, none of that matters if there's no obedience. I think a lot of good probably came out of the Billy Graham Crusades. But there was very little follow-up. And so people made a profession, but they never were taught how to practice, how to live it out. There was no accountability for obedience. I was a youth pastor for a while. Every young man and young girl, when they go to camps and go to retreats, they want to get baptized. They want to have their hands in the air. They're all about it. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's my Savior. Then they go back home to churches, local churches, where mom and dad don't disciple them, where the local church doesn't disciple them, and they go back living like devils. But we, you know what? They made a profession, and they've been baptized. But they've never actually been held accountable to walk in obedience. That's 90% of our evangelism. We're evangelizing for a profession. We're not evangelizing for a life of obedience. And Jesus is clear here. He doesn't care about the profession. If the obedience doesn't back it up, you don't do what I say. Imagine I go home this week and I'm like, go to my son. Hey, Alex, I need you to clean your room. 
Yes, sir. Yes, I will, Dad. I'm going to clean it. I heard you loud and clear. You really understand? Yes, I hear you. What did I say, Alex? I told, you told me to clean my room. Awesome. That's Monday. I walk in on Wednesday. Hey, you didn't clean your room. You didn't do what I say. I know, but I really believed in my heart to clean my room. I told all my friends I was going to clean my room. I even made a chart of how I was going to clean my room. So I re it, was, it was in my heart, Dad. Would that pass? No. Why? Because you didn't do what I say. And we laugh and we about it, and it's comical. But that's the very excuses we're into the Lord Jesus. Memorized the scriptures, read the books, attended the Bible studies. Did you do it? I'm getting to it. No, you're not. You're making excuses. You did. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? As a pastor, I interact with far too many people who are confident that they are Christians, even though their life is bankrupt of obedience. So let's put it very plain, very directly. To confess Jesus as Lord, but not to obey him is hypocrisy and self-deception. Your profession will mean nothing without a life of grace-empowered, spirit-empowered obedience. Because a true disciple will seek and strive to obey the Lord Jesus Christ at every turn. You don't find your confidence in your profession. You find your confidence first in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf. And secondly, by the transformed life of obedience that he promises to produce in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who will take the word of God and give you understanding and illumination of it. So here's the two questions on this first point for us to wrestle through. Challenge question number one, you know, we see that everybody wants to claim the benefits and the blessings of Christ. You want the benefits and the blessings of Christ, I do, but do you want to obey Jesus? I'm not saying you have to obey Jesus, of course we have to. Do you have a desire to obey Jesus? That's different, right? Do you wake up saying, I desire to follow Jesus faithfully today. I have a desire to obey my Lord. That's the difference between a fan and a follower. Because if you don't have a desire to obey him, and I'm not talking in any given one moment, because in any given one moment, none of us have a desire. I'm saying if you look at the overall character of your life, do you have a desire to obey him? Because if you don't, all you really have is lip service Christianity. And if you do have a desire, the second challenge question is this. Are you seeking to know his revealed will in his holy word so that you can obey him? Because think about this. Jesus, I have a desire to obey you, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to obey. probably because you're not in this. You want to know how you obey Jesus? By burying your face in his word with a heart that's saying, Lord, help me know you and help me see what it is and understand what it is that you command so that I can obey you because I love you. If you love me, you'll obey my commands, Jesus said. So here's a real simple question. Here's a real quick, quick assessment. I asked the question, do you have a desire to obey Jesus? 
You know how you can answer that? What's your relationship with, what's your relationship like with God's word? Your relationship with God's word will clearly illustrate to you whether you have a desire to obey him or you're right now walking in lip service Christianity. Because if you're not in God's word, you don't have a desire to obey him. You fall into this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And I can already, I'm busy. Don't be a legalist. That happens all the time. I'm trying. Respectfully, if you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in you, and you truly are a follower of Jesus, I'm not saying there aren't times that it takes effort, because it takes what it takes. But I don't see you trying so hard to sit in front of a TV. That comes pretty naturally. Playing on our phones, hanging out with friends, lusting on Amazon, texting all night. You see how naturally that stuff comes? Just why? Because we desire it. The reason the obedience part is so hard is because you don't desire Christ as much as you profess to do, as much as I profess to do. We must get in God's word so that our hearts are trans, our minds and our hearts transform so that our affections can be rightly focused. So he, he makes this question. He makes this statement, and now he gives this illustration, which brings us to our second point, the foundation of faith. Verses 47 through 49. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. Uh, sorry. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug and went deep and laid a foundation of the rock. And when a flood occurred, the river burst against that house, and he could not shake it because it had been well built. But one who heard and did not do accordingly is like a man who built a house in the ground without any foundation and the river burst against it and immediately collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. So we have a picture here of a house, right? There's these two men, right? And both of these men are said to be building a house. So to understand the illustration, the house is what? The house is your life. Both men are building their lives. We see that one man, it says, dug and went deep and laid a foundation. They laid a foundation on the rock. The rock is the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as a rock, as the rock often. We see that in Psalm chapter 18. Verse 2, Psalm 18, 2, Yahweh is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Verse 31 in that same psalm. For who is God but Yahweh and who is a rock except our God? In the New Testament, as we see here, the foundation of the rock of who Jesus is as God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Apostle Paul picks up on the imagery again of this. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It 
And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So we have this first man. I'm going to build my life. I'm going to build it on the rock, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I'm going to lay my foundation. But notice it says that he dug and that he went deep. You know, Tony can tell you he works in landscaping. Digging a hole is not easy work. Digging a deep hole is even harder work. The digging deep. This is the hard work of building your life on the Lord Jesus Christ through submission and obedience. It's not easy. Building your life on Jesus is hard. You're going to break a spiritual sweat. You're going to encounter hard soil. But it's worth it. You have to put your hand to the plow. You have to wield that pickaxe. You have to break up the hard ground. And you say, no matter what, this is where my life will be built, on Jesus Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what you build on. The other man, he heard it all. He was given the blueprint. This is how you need to build your home. But it says he did not do it accordingly. He built his house on the ground without any foundation. And we're told floodwaters happen. A flood occurs and these waters burst against both homes. And in that area, they would have understood it. It's a dry climate and flash floods could happen because the ground was not able to swallow up the drink of the water fast enough. Maybe some of you have lived in parts of the world where they were flash floods and you've seen that happen. So what are these floodwaters that are bursting against both homes? What does it represent? What's well, a twofold? There is an, what's considered an eschatological, an end times reference here to the coming judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to Matthew chapter 7, we see this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name we did not did we not prophesy? And in your name cast out demons, in your name do many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's talking about the end judgment that's coming. So there is a coming day that those who say, Lord, Lord, but live their lives out of sync with what God has declared in his will, will have the store, the floodwaters of judgment crash upon their lives. So there's that, that finished, what's, what's to come? But then there's also the floodwaters of the, the trials and the struggles of this life. Life is similar to these floodwaters because there are circumstances that come upon us very quickly with dangerous force. You don't have time to prepare. You don't have time for your emergency evacuation plan. Life comes, life comes quick, and the water is rising. And at that moment, 
if your life has not been properly built on the rock that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the floodwaters of life will sweep it all away. How many stories can we say of brothers and sisters who, who professed faith in Jesus Christ and then a storm came and the floodwaters of life came and their, their whole faith was swept away, never to return? Because they built without any foundation. And the ultimate floodwaters of final judgment will show that as well. Notice it says that, that for the second man, the ruin of the house was great. Ruin doesn't even capture the fullness here. It's speaking of an utter destruction. It's beyond repair. I want you to let that sink in. You know, maybe Hurricane Katrina, for those of us who can remember that in the news, or we think about those floodwaters, and we see the news and it shows those homes and all the wreckage that it did. You look at that, and you're like, they can't rebuild from that. They're not going to be able to fix that. That's a complete, it's just, just it's demolished. It's done with. That is a picture of a person who decided to build their life on something other than Jesus. Mother nature, mother nature, right, is preaching of a coming wrath to come. So I'm going to say this with a very heavy heart. And it's heavy because the reality is it applies to some of you in this room. A life that is not built on the Lord Jesus Christ is a life destined to experience ruin in this life and the next. There are some of you here this morning, and there's a storm headed right for you. And your life's going to get ruined. And then you're going to die and you're going to realize that first storm was nothing compared to the real storm that's coming of God's judgment. And it breaks my heart. And it keeps me up at night that I know some of you are going to encounter that storm. And it's not because you have to. It's because you refuse to live your life in submission and obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a very important point to realize here. Let's say you were driving on the road past these two houses. Do you realize just by staring at the two houses, you couldn't tell which one had the foundation built on the rock and which one did it? Outwardly, both those houses appear the exact same. Before the flood comes. That's why we those of us who preach, hopefully, tremble as we think about the people we preach to. Because you know what's amazing about the Lord's Day morning? Everybody seems well put together. Everybody shows up here with the same outward house looking, and their Bible in hand, they're smiling, shaking hands. But the reality is we don't all have our foundation built on Christ. But when the flood comes, and it will, it reveals what your life is built on. I've had the blessing since being a pastor of the outpost to see those floods happen 
multiple circumstances. And thus far, I have been richly blessed to see that the vast majority of people in our church had the right foundation. It, it tottered a little bit. I've seen my spiritual mom walk through cancer, foundation on Christ. I've seen Carol when she had cancer, foundation on Christ. Tony and Sharon lost her house in a fire, foundation on Christ. And my friend Lance went, foundation on Christ. And all the stuff that's leading up to that. I've been blessed. It's a testimony to the grace of God to those who live in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you look to those lives and that gives you strength, praise God. But their foundation isn't your foundation. You need to have your foundation. The person who doesn't build on the foundation of Christ will have an outward appearance of respectability. They may be known for their faithful church attendance and church involvement. They'll be church members. When you appear before Christ at the judgment, he doesn't say, let me check my membership list. Were you a part of a local church? You know what? You never put your paperwork in. You're not getting in. He's going to look and call me Lord. Did your life live in accordance with that profession? God is so kind to bring floods into our life because those floods are God's way of showing you what your life is built on. I can promise you two things in life, difficulties and judgment. Nobody's accused me ever of being a motivational speaker. <laughs> James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brothers, not if, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings about perseverance, and let perseverance have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God will bring that flood to strengthen your faith that you can persevere to the glory of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Those who have built their life on a spirit-empowered obedience are those who will not be swept away by the flood of life's trials and the flood of God's judgment. So we must do everything necessary to build our lives on him. Is that easy? No. Not at all. It'll be the hardest thing you and I ever do. There is nothing harder than seeking to spend the 70, 80 so years of your life, 90 to 100 if you're really lucky, in obedience and submission to Jesus. There's nothing harder. There's nothing harder than every day making these small little choices that seem insignificant of, I'm going to pray. I'm going to commune with God and his word. I'm going to repent when I lose my temper. I'm going to display love to my enemies. Little moments that you don't realize, but those little moments will shape who you are and what you're building on. Every choice you make is a decision to what foundation you're building on. And the reality, and I say this again and again, you need the word of God in your life, church. You can't hire a contractor to build your foundation for you. You have to do the hard work of daily, 
coming before God with a heart pleading, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to commune, but I really don't. Please, Lord, you said that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. Here I am, Lord. Do it. But you have to prostrate yourself before Christ. Cry out for the Spirit of God to sanctify you and to conform you to that image. And then be in reading, submission, and obedience to God's revealed will in his word. It doesn't happen any other way. It's not easy. It's time-consuming. It's difficult. It's costly. It's painful. It's ostracizing. That's why everybody wants to avoid it. I heard a young man yesterday say to me, you know, I have a relationship with God, but I'm not really in his word like I should be. You know, I try to pray. Trying. I mean, but there's so many other things out there that are so appealing and distracting. You know what I mean? You're asking the wrong guy. I know what you mean. I just don't know why you're not scared about what you're saying. You don't know when God is going to bring that flood water of judgment and bring you before his, before him. Everybody wants an outwardly beautiful religious life with no true foundation on the obedience to his lordship. You want to go to the right church, you want to have the right friends, you want to have the good community group, we have a good time, we laugh, we do things together, we share meals. And those things are good. Those are blessings from God. Your life group isn't your foundation in Christ. Your local church attendance is, is not your foundation in Christ. Your foundation is Jesus and Jesus alone. Are you building your life on him? Let's just ask this question. What are you building your life on right now? If that flood came right now, smashed against your life, what are you building your life on? What's your foundation? That brings us to our final point, which is quick. The requirements of faith. Our third point, the requirements of faith. Look at verse, verse 47 again. Everyone who comes to me hears my words and does them. So as we land the plane, the question to ask is, how can you know, how can I know if we are really building our life on that foundation that is Christ, on the rock? Well, the first he says is, everyone who comes to me, have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? Have you come to Christ by faith? You're not saved by proxy. You're not going to ride someone else's coattails. Nobody comes to heaven with a plus one ticket. You must come to Christ by faith as an individual. Every man, every woman, every child is commanded to repent of their sin and personally come to Jesus Christ by faith as Lord and Savior. And Christ is available to all who have heard the clarion call of the gospel. And everybody in this church, I don't see anybody in this church who has not heard the gospel preached. Therefore, all of you are without excuse. All of you are without excuse to have your foundation built on Christ. That is my privilege and my burden to know that I have proclaimed the gospel to you. 
And so if the floodwaters come and it wasn't built on the rock and you are swept into hell, it's because you chose to not build on the rock. Everybody must first come to Christ by faith, but not just come to Christ by faith. Each and every day, the true follower of Christ must wake up and say, Jesus, I'm coming to you by faith today. I'm walking with you today by faith. Each and every day we come to Jesus. It's not a one and done. It's not a flu shot. Because as flu shots are radically ineffective. So I was thinking a one and done coming to Christ is effective. Every day, the evidence that you came to Christ by faith is that every day you come to Christ by faith. Do you wake up each and every day running to Jesus saying, I need to follow you. I need to obey you. Everyone who comes to me, he says. Then he says, everyone who hears my words. Are you, are you, have you positioned your life? Have you structured your life in such a way that daily you are hearing the words of God? There is not an excuse for any single person in here to go an entire day without an interaction with God's word. I'm not saying every day you have to have the long, deep Bible reading, Bible study, hear, journal. No. But do you realize every single one of you are without excuse for not hearing the word of God to some degree daily? Because all of you I know have a smartphone. All of you can download a Bible app. All of you who drive to the store, drive to work, pick up kids, can put the audio Bible on. All of you scroll social media. I see a lot of your posts. In the time that it took you to interact, debate, post that cute picture that you set up and stationed perfectly, you could have read some scripture. Some of you are more devoted to how you present yourself to the social media world than how you present yourself to the living God. We are without excuse, all of us. We are to be growing in the knowledge of God's word through Bible reading through attending the Lord's Day services, through Bible studies, through life groups, through discipleship relationships and groups, through reading good theological books, through prayer. It's all available to us. We have an embarrassment of riches living in America as Christians. The only thing keeping you from hearing God's word is you. The only thing keeping you from coming to Christ is you. The more we hear, the more we ought to know. Well, the more we hear God's word, the more we know what he expects of us. But the more he equips us to do it, 2 Timothy 3, 17. You will be equipped, thoroughly equipped. God's word reveals and God's word equips. How do, let me ask you this. How do you hear God's word? Here's a good illustration. There's two ways you can possibly be listening to God's word. Whether it's at church, whether it's during family worship, or it's in your own time. Do you hear God's word the way you hear the pre-flight safety check when you're on a, on a flight? Stewardess is up there, she's got the seatbelt, the mask, you're like, yeah, whatever. Gotcha. Some of you listen to God's word that way. Or you hear God's word like a safety briefing on how to wear and deploy a parachute before you go skydiving? Which one do you pay more attention to? Hey, at 30,000 feet, I'm kicking you out of the bird. 
Let me tell you what you need to do. I'm all ears. Having jumped out of a plane, I'm telling you, I pay a lot more attention to that one. Why? Because you know your life is really at stake. You don't want to bounce. <laughs> but most of us, most of a lot of us, a lot of Christians, they approach God's word so nonchalantly because they don't realize that their life is at stake. Not just your life, that's whatever. Your soul hangs in the balance. Because how you come to Christ, how you hear from Christ, will determine how much you know of Christ, which will determine how much you're able to, you know how to obey Christ, which will ultimately be when you appear before him what you're judged by. You come, you hear, but then Jesus says, and does them. Followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are not simply to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. You actually do and put into practice what you've heard. Let me put it this way. Jesus is not a subject to be studied, but a Lord to be obeyed. He is not a subject to be studied. He is a Lord to be obeyed. Obedience is the evidence that you have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. A Christian who has no obedience is a counterfeit. Not a perfect obedience, but a true obedience. Because obedience is the fruit, not the root, of your justification. And obedience, true obedience, will always flow from the heart. Let's look what Jesus said in verse 45, the section before it. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from the abundance of his heart. Our obedience, you don't obey outwardly just to obey. You obey because your heart loves him. Many of you know I was in the military. I obeyed a lot of commands, not because I loved my sergeants, because I feared the punishment. But the true disciple, though, is to fear God. You love him. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So perhaps the best question to ask as we're talking about this true obedience that can matches up with your, conf your confession of faith is this. I want you genuinely to hear my words and answer it, to your, answer it to yourself right now. Do you love Jesus? Not simply believe him, believe in him. Do you love him? Judas believed. Judas didn't love. Do you love Jesus? Christ is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount here. And he gave these, if you were to look at this and break it, there's three reasons here, he says, why obedience matters. One, it evidences your true faith. Two, it enables you to stand strong against the floodwaters of life. And three, it will enable you to not be ruined on the day of judgment. Believer, the coming judgment of Christ is coming. But that judgment... For the true follower of Jesus is not a judgment of condemnation, but a judgment of commendation. 
But we must examine ourselves to make sure we're not simply trusting in our profession, but that we are trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his gospel. And the evidence that we are trusting in the finished work of Christ is the obedience that he is producing in and through us by his Holy Spirit. So we need to be resolved this day to be in joyful submission to Christ, to walk in the fruit of obedience that God will bring about, to pursue spirit-empowered obedience, not find comfort in a profession. We need to be resolved to look for the fruit of obedience in the lives of our children, in the lives of our spouses. That's important. If families, if households just took that to heart, if spouses mutually looked for the fruit of obedience in one another and mutually looked and encouraged the fruit of obedience in their children, we would see a revival. But we're content with professions. But for those who are here today that are not followers, I say this, I'm going to plead with you for a moment. And I'm probably going to look down because it's hard for me to look you in the eyes as I say it. There is a real flood coming. I don't know if you believe it. You know who else didn't believe a flood was coming? The people who doubted Noah. There's a flood coming and it's coming right for you. It's the flood of God's judgment against your sin. It's going to be far worse than anybody in Noah's day experienced. You think drowning in water is bad. Drowning in the, the waters of God's wrath and judgment's worse for your sin. No matter, I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, you ain't swimming against that. There's going to be no lifeguard at that point. Unless you repent of your sin here and today and trust only in the perfect life, substitutionary death, victorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, those floodwaters will sweep you away. God's holy judgment floodwaters will sweep you away and cast you into hell for all eternity, where you will be perpetually drowning in the waters of his wrath. So I really do beg you, as your pastor, it's just a human who cares about you. Build your life on the rock that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him by faith. Repent of your sin. You will be forgiven. You will be justified. You will be adopted, as we'll hear more of tonight. And those waters will not sweep you away. Like, this, like that old song goes, he will hold you fast. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning in the power of the full name of Christ. And as we think and ponder and meditate on these truths, Father, I just come before you first and foremost, Father. Help me reevaluate. Help me look deep within. Help me do the hard work to make sure that I am not self-deceived, thinking that my life is built on Christ when it is not. I plead for your sovereign, saving, sanctifying, securing grace and mercy for myself and for everyone here that we would be built on the foundation that is the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would stand strong against the floodwaters of life and the floodwaters of judgment. Lord, I thank you that in the life of our church, you've allowed many to encounter storms that we couldn't imagine. 
Because as we look to their lives, we see the foundation of Christ is secure. So Father, I pray each and every one of us would build our foundation there. That we would not simply profess you as Lord, but that we would obey you as Lord. Holy Spirit, strengthen us to pursue a more and more spirit-empowered, grace-empowered obedience. Father, I pray that our lives would be an abundant harvest of the fruit of obedience. And I pray for every child in here, Lord, who may not know you, as know they're young and some of these things seem so far out, Lord. Grab hold of the hearts of our children, Lord. Continue to draw them to yourself. Continue to establish them in the faith, Lord. Continue to show them their need of a Savior. Bring about the obedience of faith in their lives. May mom and dads hold their children accountable to obedience, not professions. May husband and wives hold each other accountable to obedience and not professions. May the church hold each other accountable to this. Not even so much because we fear the judgment, though that is true, because you are worthy and we love you. Help us love you, Lord, not simply with our not simply with our hearts and our affections, but help us love you and demonstrate it with a robust, glorious, joyful obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.